0: And, Lord, I just want to say, so be it. May it really happen. And, Lord, may we really conform and shape, be shaped to your vision, your dream for your church, your alive, exciting, and beautiful vision of your church. Lord, forgive us for the, the dead copies that have been formed and marred. Things that we've let be shaped by the world instead of being crafted by you. Lord, I, I pray that we could become what you imagine. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was uh, talking with someone the other day, last week, uh, and I'm not sure how we got into the conversation, but um, this fellow just said to me, You know, I grew up going to church and uh, left, went to school, and, and just I haven't been back since. And I was kind of burned by some things that happened in that church I grew up in. And, and he said, you know, I, I, I still like Jesus. Um, I, just, I just don't really want to have anything to do with the, the church or the institution that's the church. When I, when I heard that, it was just like, oh, stab me with a knife in the heart. That, that word just kills me when people say institution about the church. It's such a cold, dead word. And the church is not that. The church is so alive, so alive like our God is alive. And it breaks my heart when I hear those kind of words. And I want to try to say persuasive things, but I, I think that there's a lot of other people in this world, and probably you've run into them here in Asheville, where people will say, yeah, Jesus is all right with me, do do do, 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 do. but I really don't like the church. The church stinks. I don't want anything to do with the church. Well, I, I know that um, there's this fellow named Saul that we want to talk about and look at today, and I want to look at the church through his eyes, a guy who hated the church, But then all of a sudden, something happened, and then he was like building the faith and promoting the church and starting churches everywhere. And I just say, what happened? Whatever happened to him needs to happen to a whole lot of other people. And I kind of wonder if we might have a part in doing something towards that. You know, there's a lot of people that have thoughts about what church is or isn't. And and maybe it'd be easier just to start this morning with what the church isn't. The church is not a building. I hope you got that by now since we meet in Orange Peel. It doesn't belong to us. Uh, But the church is not a building, even though you'll find the church in buildings. The church is not a moral social club, even though when you look in churches today, you'll find really strong friendships and people that are not exclusive. There's no uh, social, economic, or racial exclusions. And where there are, that is a distortion of what the church should be. It's not right. The church is not a corporation, not a business. But you will find the church has a mission and a message, and they are dead set I'm promoting and getting that message out because it is good news. The church is not a democracy. But you will find people working together and trying to protect each other's freedom. The church is, is not uh, connected or tied to a specific nation or, or, or specific culture. In fact, the church is distinct from every culture. Yet at the same time, you look around the world and in every nation you'll find within those nations people who are worshiping Jesus Christ through expressions of their culture. The church is not cookie-cutter conformity. The church is made up of people so diverse, so varied, yet they are united in one purpose. The church is not a group of perfect people. I hope you realize that by now fact, no perfect people are allowed. Sorry if you showed up today. I guess that is the one exclusion that we have. But yeah, there's no perfect people allowed. Yeah. In f- the, the church is really made up of people who are forgiven and redeemed. So that's a lot of what the church isn't. So what is the church? Well, I, I'd like to, to assert that maybe we don't look to Hollywood for their advice on what the church is or isn't. I would like to say that we don't go to our favorite novelists and, and take their perceptions of what they think the church is. And I, and I would even like to assert and say that maybe you shouldn't even maybe look to f- what your friends say about the church, but first instead, go to the source, go to where truth is found, go to the Bible, where we have the first recorded words of Jesus and his first followers, and let them let the Word of God tell you what the church is and that 's what I like to do today. When we look in the Bible, the, the word is ecclesia, it was explained to you earlier, the called out ones. they started using that from the very beginning. It was a used word uh, a word used by the culture, and then they adopted it. It was used for uh, business meetings and, and uh, Uh, when they were calling to talk about the state and what was going on. Uh, But then the believers started using it to talk about all the believers of the present era, church with a big C. But then they also started using it to describe the people who are in a local district or region, little church, uh, a, a small church with a small C. Jesus used the word church. And when he used it, he used it in a great, big way. It happened in a conversation, one of the most important conversations that he ever had with his disciples. And he asked the most important question that could ever be asked of anyone in this world. And a question that every person in this room needs to answer today. Every person in this city, in this country, in the world needs to answer this question. It is the most important question, and it's asked by Jesus himself. And he says, Who do you say I am? And Peter speaks up at that moment. He says, well, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And then here's Jesus' big statement after the big question about the church. It's a big question about who he is and then church. It's connected. See it. Watch it. Jesus says, Peter... I I call you Peter, Petros, little stone. But you know what? I'm going to build my church on Petra, foundation, bedrock, mountain-sized rock. And my church, nothing will be able to stand up against it, not even the gates of hell. In the context of this conversation and with the rest of Scripture, Jesus was saying, I'm going to build my called-out ones upon this bedrock foundational confession belief. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what upholds the whole church, the people of God. Jesus is building and assembling has called out ones upon faith, a singular belief in him alone. The church is not a what, the church is a who. Yep. This is something not designed or owned by men. I mean, listen to Jesus. He says, I will build my church. It's his. And he's doing the building. And I want you to know <coughs> that Jesus' design for the church is beautiful. It's amazing. It's wonderful. And you've been invited into it. And I know some of you, you've, you've been disappointed maybe with lesser versions of the church that weren't, weren't so connected to Jesus' vision for what he thought the church would be. And I know maybe some of you have been hurt by those churches that fell so short of Jesus' dream. But I want to describe Jesus' design for you. Because you and I, we have a shot. We have a shot of becoming the church that he wants to be. That he wants to see happen. (coughs) You and I have that chance to make it. And be a part of it. He's building us together. Many of you have heard his voice and you've answered him. You are his called out ones. Thank you, sir. You are his called out ones. You understand that the church is not a what but a who. You understand that Jesus has something special in store for each of us. Maybe some of you today forgot that. Maybe some of you today have never been told that. You always thought church was a building. You did think it was a social club. Well, Today, I got some better news for you. It's not. Today, I want to describe who Jesus envisioned his church to be. And I want to introduce that through the eyes of one of the most unlikely persons to be in the church. This guy named Saul, who was so opposed to it hated it, yet something happened and changed. And then he was for it. He was promoting it. was going everywhere, starting them. And I'm, I'm going to keep using this name, Saul. I know most of you know him as Paul because after his encounter with Jesus, it was such a life-changing event. And it changed his identity from the inside out. He changed his name to Paul. But I want you to remember, Saul, because we got a lot of people in this world who are in the same position as Saul. They're outsiders looking in, and we gotta give them a view of what the church is really like. And through the eyes of Saul, we're gonna see that the called out ones are a people who are in, a people who are under, a people within, and a people united. I know that sounds a little bit like Dr. Seuss, but, but it's, it's true. And, and I want to show you how that works out, all right? Saul was, was in Jerusalem, and he knew of this Jewish people that had become Christ's followers. They named Jesus as Christ, the Messiah. And, but Saul wasn't really introduced to the church until he met a man named Stephen who showed up in Saul's synagogue. Uh, his synagogue was called the Synagogue of the Freedmen. Uh, it included people, other people from his region. Uh, in Tarsus, he was an uh, import into Jerusalem, and uh, there were people from his region that kind of band together, and, hey, let's, let's have our own synagogue, and, hey, maybe it's be, we'll be the young professionals group, and we'll, we'll be really uh, smart and debaters, and we'll really uh, be great Pharisees, for, uh, Pharisee lawyers. And so Saul and his lawyer friends really opposed what Stephen was introducing when he came into their synagogue, saying that Jesus was the Son of God. But the thing was, was that these sharp young lawyers, they couldn't stand up to Stephen's wisdom. And they, they couldn't argue with him. Every time they brought that up, and that was very frustrating to these young young professionals who, who were prided themselves on their being able to articulate and, and to explain the the faith in God. So Saul and his friends when they realized that they couldn't subdue or put down this, this little man named Stephen, with their words, they decided, you know what? Can't do it with words. We'll do it with force. But we'll, we'll still do it in a legal way. So they went and looked for ways that they could trap Stephen with false accusations. And so they did a little research, finding out what the, what the Christ followers really believed. And it was that moment, I believe, that Saul really found out how widespread the faith was in the city of Jerusalem. And he found out there was, there was more than 7,000, maybe 9,000 believers in the city. And they were meeting in homes and all over the place. And so Saul became enraged and he became bent on destroying the church, going from house to house, dragging men and women off to prison. And listen to Saul's description of himself later in life when he's looking back. He says, I was once convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priest, I put many of the saints in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time, I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme That means to say something untrue about God or about Jesus. And in my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. Some would have said Saul was really zealous for his faith. What Saul said about himself later, I was obsessed There was something not right. He thought these Christ followers were blaspheming, saying untrue things when they said Jesus was the Son of God. But then Saul has a meeting with a man that he thought was dead. He has a meeting with a person that he thought was just a man but finds out that he was truly divine, the Son of God. He has an encounter with Jesus, this blinding moment. And it knocks him down to his knees and changes everything in his life. Jesus appeared to Saul and he says, Saul, I'm appointing you as a servant and witness to the truth of who I am, the Son of God. This man who opposed the faith and was destroying it, Jesus says, I want you on my team. I can do what I want, I'm the Lord of all. Jesus tells them at that blinding encounter, I'm going to rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. And I'm sending you to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and find a place among those who are sanctified through faith in me. Saul was called out by Jesus, called out from his fast-track, successful career. He was called out from that familiar place where he kind of knew everything was and what he believed and where he was going. He was called out from the people that he was comfortable with. He was called out from the kingdom of darkness. Saul didn't think he needed to be called out. He thought he was right where he was supposed to be. He thought he was in the light already. And it was these, these uneducated Christ followers that were in the dark. But then the Lord blinded him, put him in the dark to show him that he couldn't find the way. He had to have these people grab his hands and lead him into the into Damascus. But it was more than a physical route, a physical way that he didn't know. He no longer knew up from down. His whole world was turned upside down. The man that he thought was a liar, Jesus, and his followers was now the truth, the way. Everything was different. Everything was changed. And it was at that moment Saul realizes, and he says, and these are his words later in life, I was the blasphemer. I was the one saying untrue things about God. I was the one who acted in ignorance and unbelief. I was a persecutor and a violent man. But God rescued him from the dominion of darkness and brought him into the kingdom of the son he loves. Saul was now a part of a people who are in. He was not only caught out but brought into. You know, when Jesus prayed to the Father right before he went to the cross... He prayed for future believers. He he prayed for us right here. You know what he prayed for us? He prayed this. He said, Father, may they also be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. That's a big, important prayer for us. And he wants us to be in him, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Saul found that though he was guilty of opposing God and hurting the Christ followers, that there was no condemnation for him because he was in Christ Jesus. You know, over 170 times in the New Testament, there is reference to the truth of being placed in him, placed in Christ Saul found out firsthand that the people of the church are a people who have a fundamental shift in their spiritual location. They have moved out and into Jesus. That is a big shift. And the truth is, today, you're called. And the voice of our Savior is still calling people out. Like that old hymn, I can hear My Savior calling. I can hear my Savior calling. Come home. Come home. He's calling you in. He's calling you in. And the truth is today, you are called. You are a part of the people who are in if you've answered that call. You know, Saul also found out that in being one of the called out ones he was now one of the people who are under under Jesus told him that that trust in him moved Saul and others from under the power of Satan to being under the power of God he was in a new kingdom under a new authority Saul was all of a sudden now commanded to be a witness of what he had seen and heard The man who was five minutes ago opposing and trying to kill the church was now told, you are now going to be the proponent of the church. You're going to be the the standard bearer of the church. And then he goes to another Christ follower, and the Christ follower gives him a directive, gives him a command. And Saul is kind of like, yes, sir. Ananias tells him, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on the name of Jesus. All of a sudden, Saul is taking orders, and it's not from the Jewish council back in Jerusalem. Saul has a change of allegiance. You know, one of the meanings of baptism when Saul got up and did that, it, it, was, it was a symbol of the cutting off of the powers of darkness. It was an acknowledgment of a new leader and a new Lord. Just like when the Israelites went through the Red Sea, they were under the power of Pharaoh. He was chasing them down, but then they went through the Red Sea, and then the Red Sea swallowed the enemy. Pharaoh was no more, and there was their new leader, Moses. Being a part of a new kingdom and a new king, Saul was now under the authority of a new country and a new household. See, the called out ones are described in the Bible as being under a new citizenship. And where is the, where's that citizenship? Is it's not the USA? It's the citizenship of the Kingdom of God, heaven. That is our new country. We are also described as having a new father. We are adopted. And who is that father? It's not your dad. It's our Father in heaven, God Almighty. You are under a new household and a new country. Being under the grace of Jesus means we've been purchased by his blood and we no longer own our own lives. We no longer live by our own rules, but live under the rule of a good king and a loving father. It's a good place to be under not a bad place. Being a people who are under means that we belong to Jesus Christ. Some of you don't belong to anything. Once you didn't belong, but now you can belong. And the truth is today, called out ones, you belong. After Saul's encounter with Jesus, he went to Ananias and then later stayed with the Christ followers in, in Damascus. Saul had to make a quick exit from Damascus and immediately went down to the Christ followers in Jerusalem. But the believers there hadn't heard about Saul's conversion, and so uh, they were still afraid of him. And it took Barnabas, a believer who had heard of Saul's story and believed it, uh, he came and brought Saul into the presence of the apostles. Uh, he told his story, and the apostles were like, oh, amen, awesome, God is amazing. And he was welcome, and he stayed among the believers there in Jerusalem. Saul now found himself within relationship. He was a people within relationship. Saul wasn't being a loner. And he found he needed this connection with the believers in such a way that he stayed with them. See, he didn't go running back off to the, hey, I'm going to go hang out with my buddies at the synagogue of the freedmen. I mean, he went and talked with them and tried to persuade them. That didn't go so well, but he tried. But he felt and he knew that there was this vital connection with this new family. He had a new father. He was adopted, and that meant he had new brothers and sisters in Christ. And there was a connection there that he didn't forsake. Whenever the church is described, it's it's compared to a living, growing thing or or to relationships. Jesus described the people of his kingdom in parables like seeds and and things that grew and and like like fish that were swimming in the sea and captured by nets. He described us as, as him as the vine and us as the branches, this vital connection. When you snap off a branch from the vine and you throw it down on the ground, you look at the vine and you go, that's a vine. And then when you look at that, you go, that's a dead branch on the ground. You no longer identify it with the vine. It's a vital connection. The same way uh, later Saul described the people within, like a bride and groom relationship, a marriage. He described it like all the, the parts of a body, The called-out ones are all the parts of the body, all interdependent and connected to one another, and and we're all connected to the head, Jesus, who leads this body and turns, and when he turns, we turn and we go with him. We go where he goes. The idea of of the called-out ones being like a a living system or a marriage implies that that separation leads to loss of life, purpose, and identity. (coughs) This also emphasizes that the called want ones are not singular. They're not alone. They're not independent. They're not isolated. Saul discovered that he was connected not just to Jesus, but vitally connected to other parts of the body of Jesus. You are not to be alone. You are not to be isolated, independent. You are as the called out ones are connected, you are connected as the people within relationship. Saul found himself immediately in danger when the Jewish leaders found out that the one who had once helped them destroy the church was now preaching the faith. And so the Jewish leaders in Damascus and in Jerusalem decided they would try to kill Saul. And each time Saul found the believers, the believers in Damascus and then later the believers in Jerusalem, rallying around him. And I I have a hard time thinking about that because I'm just going, all right, four days earlier, these were the people that he was about to put in prison. These were the people that he was about to kill. In fact, some of these people probably had relatives that were in prison because of Saul. They may even had a friend or relative who was dead because of Saul. And now these people were coming around Saul and saying, if you want him, you're going to have to go through me. They were united with Saul. Saul found himself that he was standing with a group of people. This super-educated lawyer saw he was united with a people that were so different from him, people who weren't cultured Roman citizens like he was. He saw white-collar, blue-collar coming together. He saw tax collectors and Jewish priests who once hated each other but now worshiping together. He saw fishermen, servants, synagogue rulers, mothers, fathers, children, young and old, all coming together, working together in harmony, walking in love, Bringing change wherever they go. How in the world could that be? How is it that, that the believer in Damascus found himself saying that he stands in unity with the believer in Jerusalem? The same way that we do today and we see ourselves united with the believer in Peru or the believer in China. It's because the scriptures say there is one body. One spirit, one hope, one faith, one baptism, one God over all, and one Lord Jesus Christ. Saul found out that he was not alone. And the truth is today, called out ones, you are not alone. You stand with the people united in Christ, people that are around this whole globe, standing for the faith, standing firm, some under persecution. Some under great trials and distress. And they will stand with you. Will you stand with them? It's not what is the church, it's who is the church. Jesus is building and assembling his called out ones upon faith. A singular belief in Him. They are a people in Him. They are a people under Him. They are a people within Him and His body. They are a people united in Him. And therefore, if you are one of the called out ones, you are called. You belong. You are within. You are connected. You are not alone. You see, the good news of Jesus just spreads out all through his body. And it's good news everywhere to everyone who is connected to him. And just like that girl Christy on that video about God's spell, she found out when she walked out that she was no longer alone. There's more people that need to know that. They need to be invited to Christ and know that when they come to Christ, they will no longer stand alone. Jesus is still calling out people today. And have you answered his call? Don't resist. I mean, I hope that you see from Saul that, that answering his call isn't about cleaning yourself up. Saul didn't do anything to prepare himself for that meeting with Jesus on the road to Damascus. He was still bent on doing the stupid things that he was doing. It's about grace and undeserved gifts. And Jesus says, I want you, Saul, And in the same way, he says to you, I want you. I'm going to make you mine. For those of you who have have answered his call already, I, I just want to ask you to realign yourselves with the truth and be the called out ones. It's not going to church. It's being the church. I don't want to, I want to see that. I want to see us being that liquid light wherever we go, all over this city. It's not about a, a service once a Sunday. It's about being his, belonging to him. We're going to worship, and we're going to continue to, to honor the one who holds us all together here, all of us who are so different. And as we stand and worship, I just really want to ask that you would hear his voice calling to you, that you would no longer see yourself as an outsider or standing apart from the church, that you would no longer think about the church as maybe the perceptions that you've had from movies or from books or from maybe distorted versions of church that you've experienced in the past. But I'd like to s- that you would hear the voice of Jesus saying, no, be a part of the church I envision, the church that is becoming what I want it to be. And I'm not just saying specifically this church. He's got little pockets of his people all over this country, all over this globe that are becoming exactly what he desires. And we got a shot at it right here. And I want you to hear his voice and I want you to be able to answer, yes, Jesus, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of what you're building. So stand with me and let's pray. Lord Jesus, in the next few moments, speak loudly so everyone could hear your voice and what you're saying to them. Lord, I pray you call out your people in Jesus' name. Amen.